Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union labels. That's to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever it is that you're listening to The Alan Nathan Show. I'm Karen Cataline, happily sitting in Alan's big chair, getting ready for Jane's birthday soon. I'm not at liberty to tell you when, but it's really soon. So I'm a commentator, columnist, all-around rabble-rouser, and because there's so much going on today, we are going to open right away with our very first guest. He is an emeritus professor of finance, Ramapo College of New Jersey. His most recent book is From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, An American Story. He's here to talk about the story of the hour, two collapsing banks within two days. People, I think, are getting nervous. Dr. Marie Sabrin joins us right now. Welcome, uh, Dr. Sabrin. Good to have you on the Alan Nathan Show. Well, great to be with you again, Karen. Always good to have you. So what do we need to know about these banks foreseeing a run on other banks and panic? Never good for the financial markets. What do you think? Well, this has been going on throughout American history. In the 19th century, we had numerous banking panics. Then we had the famous panic of 1907, which led to the creation of the Federal Reserve. And that didn't stop the panics because we had a banking panic in 1929 to 1933. Then FDR came in and put FDIC in to protect depositors from bank runs. But it still hasn't uh, prevented the issue, which is namely the Federal Reserve creates money. The money goes through the banking system. Banks extend loans, some of which are very risky. And uh, then depositors get very nervous and they start withdrawing money from the banks. And you have a banking panic, an old-fashioned banking panic. But the situation with SVB in California is that um, uh, they were lending money to startups, which is the most risky thing a bank can do. Usually banks give money to uh, ongoing enterprises. They give money, uh, they lend money to uh, people for mortgages and car loans, so they're collateralized by real assets. So when you're lending money to startups, uh, you're taking a huge risk with uh, with the depositors' money. In addition, the bank had excess reserves. So what were they doing? They're buying long-term treasuries when rates were uh, under 2%. Now that rates have gone up because the Federal Reserve is tightening uh, monetary conditions to uh, dampen inflation, those bonds are worth less because when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. So the, the bank is sitting with huge losses on paper. And so uh, if they had a, and then you had a run on the bank because Peter Thiel said maybe a good idea to take the money out of the bank because the bank may be shaky. And, that all, that's, uh, and, and so the, the bank now has losses that are just as uh, large as the equity. Therefore, the shareholders are, uh, have gone down to zero value. So you have you have the perfect storm. You have easy money. You have overregulation by the uh, banking authorities. And uh, this is what happens when the Federal Reserve tries to manage the economy with uh, uh, interest rate manipulation and uh, throwing uh, creating trillions of dollars. Yeah. For the layman person, Dr. Sabrin, which most of our listeners and I am, at least insofar as finances and the financial markets are concerned, um, is it? Uh, possible that uh, most of us watched the way that interest rates were kept artificially low for the Mm -hmm. longest time. And then all of a sudden it's as if somebody gave the go ahead. We don't know who it was and said, okay, it's time to start raising interest rates. Uh, Was this, I don't know how to exactly question this, but is this something that was done on purpose? And it was known that once they started actually raising interest rates, that there would be banks that would start failing? And do we really need to be concerned about other banks doing following suit? 
Well, that's that's a great question because uh, we don't know what the exact thinking is of the, of the Fed officials who are setting monetary policy. But the the problem stems from the fact that they, as you correctly pointed out, they kept rates artificially low for the longest times, and that generates bubbles. We have it in housing. Prices yeah. went crazy, uh, especially here in Florida, uh, for the past yes. two three years, and mm-hmm. um, and and then and uh, artwork has gone through the roof. Uh, at auctions, prices are selling at ridiculous prices, like the Mickey Mantle card just sold for an enormous amount of money, uh, the, mm. the 1951 baseball card, uh, artwork mm. uh, across the world. And so this is what happens when you throw trillions of dollars into the economy. And uh, it's amazing that the geniuses of the Fed couldn't realize that when you create trillions of dollars, you're going to raise prices and eventually wages, but wages never keep up with the rise in prices. So um, mm. the Fed should just keep its hands off of interest rates and allow interest rates to uh, reflect supply and demand in the in the credit markets. That would solve right. one problem, and then not create money to to quote stimulate the economy because all it does is create the the booms and busts that have been going on for the past hundred ten years since the Fed was created. Right, and we all know they're not going to do that. They're not going to take your advice because uh, they do the opposite, it seems, these days, especially of what uh, might be wise, sensible, and best for the people. So hate to ask this question, but do you expect other banks to also start failing? And that's a terrible, you know, even the fear of that creates what you just talked about. But do you think other banks are at risk and what should investors do or just as consumers warren, yeah as warren buffett famously said when the tide goes out we see who's naked on the beach so uh, as this thing unfolds mm-hmm. we'll see which banks are in financial uh, financial difficulty because right now unless you do a deep dive into the uh, portfolio and balance sheet you really don't know exactly how many losses they have because uh, they're sitting with uh, treasury bonds that have gone down in value and so uh, this thing is going to play out. Uh, the uh, depositors are, are insured up to 250000 but Secretary of the Treasury Yellen said all depositors may be uh, made whole. And that's the, that creates the moral hazard that the banks realize that if the federal government is going to bail out all the depositors, then they're going to take on as much risk as possible because um, the depositors will be protected. The shareholders may uh, get uh, take a huge haircut, but uh, the depositors, all of us across the country, want to make sure that our deposits are safe. So you have the greatest financial crisis that's been evolving now for uh, 100 years. And uh, of course, they're not going to take my advice or other people's advice that that have been sounding the alarm for the past, uh, since the Great Depression, that um, unfortunately, what's going to, it's going to have to take probably a major financial crisis for them to come to their senses. But even then, they may not come to their senses because what the government's tend to do is to impose more controls on the economy, wage controls, capital controls, price controls, and uh, then we'll have a stagflation, which will be horrible for the average family. Uh, Yeah, and sometimes the government creates a crisis in order to justify what they really want to do, which is to take more control, sorry to say. So what can everyday investors do at this point if, in fact, the worst of what we're talking about is a very real possibility. What what can people do? Well, uh, again, the prudent thing to do is uh, obviously keep less than $250,000 in a savings account or a money market account at a bank, have some money in uh, government-only uh, money market accounts at uh, your financial in- uh, institution like Fidelity or Vanguard or wherever else people invest. And of course, uh, I've been recommending you have a small portion of your portfolio in gold and silver. They're both uh, rising today because people are nervous around the world that the uh, U.S. financial system and the world financial system could be teetering uh, uh, at the cliff. And so yeah. no one knows exactly when uh, the, this whole thing co- comes unglued. But this could be the black swan of uh, 2023, just as we had the black swan of 2007 with the housing bubble bursting. 
And so, uh, again, it, it's prudent uh, to do things that uh, make sure that your assets are not adversely affected. And the stock market is going to just gyrate like crazy, uh, up 300 points, down 500 points, up 1,000 points, down 700 points. This, mm. this is a sign of financial instability because markets should not be as volatile as they are today. And, and that all stems yeah. from people trying to second-guess what the Federal Reserve is going to do with interest rates. Right. We so appreciate the uh, knowledge and expertise that you have. You clearly have been a longtime supporter of free markets and liberty. Tell everybody they can find your book, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual, An American Story. Well, it's available on Amazon, and the publisher did something wonderful for uh, the American people. He priced it so low that people could not only buy one for themselves, but buy multiple copies so they can give uh-huh. it out to friends and neighbors. And uh, I write at murraysabron.substack.com so people can keep up with my uh, analysis of the U.S. economy. Very good. Dr. Murray Sabrin, S-A-B-R-I-N. We so appreciate your time. We're going to pause for a little break when we come back. We'll have another guest and another subject. Don't go away. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show here on the Main Street Radio Network. Stay tuned. This message is provided by Beringer Ingelheim. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is one of the more common forms of progressive fibrosing interstitial lung diseases with symptoms including breathlessness during activity, a dry and persistent cough, chest discomfort, fatigue, and weakness. There are more than 200 lung disorders that can lead to pulmonary fibrosis, an irreversible scarring of lungs that can negatively impact lung function, quality of life, and may become life-threatening. While approved treatments for people living with these diseases can help slow disease progression, new therapies are needed to help potentially stop progression. Fortunately, there is new research underway to assess the safety and efficacy of an investigational treatment in patients with IPF and other progressive ILDs. This is part of Beringer Ingelheim's Phase 3 Global Global Fibronir program. To learn more about Fibronir and eligibility requirements, visit fibronir-ipf.longboat.com and fibronir-ild.longboat.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. 
and access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back, everyone, to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm Karen Cataline, and uh, you may not know that there was a shareholders meeting for Apple recently, but it was a little strange. Here to talk about that is the associate uh, is an associate for the National Center for Public Policy Research's Free Enterprise Project. He was previously a news editor for the Jerusalem Post, and his name is Ethan Peck, who joins us right now on the Alan Nathan Show. Hi, Ethan. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me again. How are you? Well, it's always a pleasure to hear you. And so there was a shareholder meeting that was called One Big Charade. Tell us about that, would you? Yeah, so essentially we buy up shares um, in corporations, especially the left-leaning corporations, which is most of them these days, um, to try to use our influence as shareholders to depoliticize uh, corporations. We file proposals. Uh, we press CEOs and executives and ask them questions. And so at the, the annual app, at Apple's annual shareholder conference um, last Friday, we attended and we uh, filed a shareholder proposal to audit their diversity, equity, and inclusion policies. Um, mm. if, if anybody's heard this term DEI, um, it's sort yes. of the kind of a corporate lingo for just racism, woke, woke racism and sexism, uh, essentially discriminating against men and white people and straight people for the benefit of uh, women and black people and the LGBT community and Hispanics, et cetera. Um, and sort of, uh, I think it's racist on multiple fronts. Uh, it, it sort of assumes that men are privileged and that white people are privileged and oppressors by the virtue of their being born that way and that they have to be, you know, suppressed and taken opportunities have to be taken away from them. But then it's also racist, uh, sexist and racist against women and black people and other ethnic minorities by assuming that they need this sort of hand, developing hand, this artificial push. Mm. Um, and so, and, and so the, these are the policies that most corporations and we just tried to audit them and, and that didn't work out. It's condescending to women and minorities, and it's uh, uh, truly bigoted. I also wonder when you, and then we'll move on to what actually happened at this meeting, uh, mm-hmm. when they say it benefits women, it's all coming from a group of people who have already admitted that they don't know how to identify a woman. How do you yeah. have it both ways, I wonder? That's the whole game that they play. They always want to have it both ways. And the, the way that they do this, I think, is with like manipulative language. So um, if you look at what it, it's, it's classic 1984 tactics. So they'll say, all we want to do is increase diversity. But diversity doesn't mean diversity to them. You see, so like diversity to, to you know, for what it's meant for the last couple hundred years was how heterogeneous a group was. So if you had, you know, five men and five women that's, uh, that, in a group of 10, that's more diverse than just 10 women. But today, 10 women is considered more diverse than five men and five women because women are considered diverse and men are not. And so that's uh-huh. the way that they define diverse. And so they say, oh, we just want diversity. We just want inclusion. But that's not what they mean. And so th- they play with language. Um, and that's how they yeah. sort of try to have it both ways. Um, we're for women, but also what a woman. It's it's a whole the whole thing. Well, is we're really joke. not for them at all. We're just using them as shall we call them useful idiots. Uh, mm-hmm. So how did they manipulate the shareholders meeting? And sounds like you are a shareholder in Apple. Is yes. that right? Okay. Yes. Well, Tell us what well, you I'm observed. A, right. So I'm not directly a shareholder in Apple. Um, I, my organization, the um, uh, Free Enterprise Project, 
we buy shares in corporations for the purpose of trying to, you know, only to try to move corporations away from this, these politics. Um, uh, essentially, you have shareholders vote at these meetings for proposals. Um, uh-huh. And, and the, the board recommends and for, for board members. So every year, the board members at Apple or, or at every company really are reelected or and and every, and there are also shareholder proposals. So um, any shareholder can file a proposal. So there was about I think there were five shareholder proposals up for election and there were nine um, board members up for election. The, the Apple's board recommends a vote, whether in favor or against. Um, they recommended a vote in favor of all nine board members, and all nine board members passed with over 90%. And then they oh. also recommended a favor against all five shareholder proposals, and all five shareholder proposals failed. And then, ah. so it's really just like, wow. we, we, you go through the motions kind of, but yeah. essentially what the company wants is what goes. Um, and, uh, and then at the end of the meeting, there was a Q&A. Which is yeah. Tim Cook takes takes questions from from shareholders, but uh-huh. uh, so that we can actually you know press them on on their nonsense and their politicization. But all the questions are pre-screened, um, and all of the answers are pre-written. So it's kind of like you know when Joe Biden goes out and answers questions from press, which he doesn't actually ever do. Even if he does, he always knows the question beforehand, uh-huh. and he reads the answers off a card. Um, that's kind of how it is um, with shareholders and the CEOs of these companies. Wow. So, Ethan, I guess the obvious question, at least one of them is, what are they afraid of? (laughs) The truth. (laughs) Well, they seem awfully terrified of actual honest discussion, don't they? Yeah, it's exactly. It's very gated uh, and sheltered. You can't have any, it's essentially like, you know, we're shareholders. We're supposed to be seen as owners of the company. Legally speaking, we are the rightful owners of the company. But the, 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 the divide between the shareholders and the owners and the, and the executives is so great. Just kind of the same way that the divide between voting taxpayers and their representatives is so great. You know, go knock on your the door of your representative and try to speak to them and have an open, frank dialogue about what they're doing. It, 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 it's sheltered. It's gated. You can't get to them. And that's the, that's the same way that it is here. It's sort of a top-down administrative. They preach to us, and we can't even get our message back to them or get any sort of mm-hmm. real-time response. A perfect example of why freedom of expression, both in spirit and in, and in <laughs> law, is so important to just basic liberty, being heard, right? Uh, tell everybody in our last uh, less than a minute how people can find you and learn more about the work that you're doing at the Center for Public Policy Research's Free Enterprise Project. Yeah, you can go to nationalcenter.org. Or you can go to freeenterpriseproject.org, and we have like a whole handbook and guides there about how to become engaged yourself as a shareholder. And, you know, we used to be alone on this front for shareholders on the right, but more people have been joining us. And so you can reach out to us there, and I'm happy to speak to you. Yeah, and you know, also, they need encouragement because when you're treated like plebes or peasants... You need support in knowing that you're not crazy. Right, Ethan? Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We so appreciate your time. Well, when we come back, uh, well, we're going to have another guest. I've been wanting to talk to this guy for a long time and haven't been able to get him. So we're going to talk about the truth about Sharia. That's a huge gets covered. It doesn't always get covered. So Karen Kathleen filling in for Alan Nathan here on the Main Street Radio Network. Stay tuned. 
From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Not everyone is a morning person, and that's okay. At Burger King, we let you be you and have your morning your way. With a variety of menu items made just for you, satisfy any craving on any morning. Feeling savory today? How about a croissant sandwich? Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant. Perfect with hot or iced coffee. Is bacon more your thing? We do that, too. Try a bacon, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich with crispy bacon, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant. Try it with an ice-cold Coke. Or maybe you're craving something sweet. Then French toast sticks are sure to satisfy. Golden brown, piping hot, and perfect for dipping in a side of sweet syrup. Pair it with a Simply Orange juice. Why not? It's your morning. Complete your breakfast combo meal with hash browns and a beverage of your choice. Have your breakfast your way. Because morning person or not, you rule at participating U.S. Burger King restaurants sponsored by Coca-Cola. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Climb puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figuerella, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm Karen Cataline filling in for Alan today, and we plug right along. The show always goes so fast. We have a roster of great guests, and this next guest is someone I haven't talked to in a long while. So glad to have him on. He's a former FBI agent. He implemented the agency's first counterterrorism training education program on Islamic terror. He is president and founder of Understanding the Threat. His most recent book is Islam's Deception, The Truth About Sharia. John Guandolo joins us right now. Welcome, John. Good with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Karen. Yeah, it's good to, to see you. We've met before. It's been a while. But um, you have always, you always bring very serious topics to the table, and today is no exception. Uh, There's something that we've all, some of us anyway, have become uh, more familiar with, something called the Southern Poverty Law Center, which most people know has been uh, an arm of the Democrat Party, but you believe that there's even more to it. Tell us about that. Well, you know, it's interesting that this came back on the radar because uh, recently in Atlanta, you know, we had a lawyer, an attorney for the Southern Poverty Law Center, SPLC, get arrested and charged with domestic terrorism. Uh, And that uh, I've had some, you know, other media outlets reach out and say, you know, is this shocking? And the answer is, of course, it's not shocking. Because this is what the Southern Poverty Law Center is, is this is a group that is pro-terrorist, anti-American, uh, anti-free uh, market economy, anti-national defense. And a great deal of what they do is support organizations that are hostile to the United States, individuals that are hostile to the United States, under the guise of under the cloak of being uh, a defense of, quote, civil rights. I mean, their own, uh, their own promotion says they're, they're an organization that's created to, quote, battle racial and social injustice, which is nonsense. They, they support the terrorist group Hamas. They, uh, they are literally uh, corrupt. I mean, they had millions of dollars stored in offshore accounts. And that came out a few years ago. Um, and I just think these things are, are fascinating. I mean, when we look at the amount of corruption and stuff, not even the fact they're just promoting hostile organizations, they themselves are, you, you said an arm of the Democrat party, it's even worse. They're an arm of both the communist and the jihadi movements in the United States are a propaganda arm for them. And by the way, they attack groups like mine uh, and literally hundreds of others where they list us as hate groups or something like this. And, of course, now, because the truth about who they are has been revealed, the Department of Defense has sidelined them. The FBI has pushed them out uh, of the places they were within the FBI, and they've lost – complete credibility because they've been exposed for what they are. Uh, Let me ask you, John, by way, for the purposes of clarity, when you said that they were designated or classified, and now you clarified that they were the FBI and other government agencies classified them as domestic terrorists. Well, to put a wrench in the works, a fly in the ointment, we've got rather corrupt entities now calling parents, we're going to have one next hour, who inquired as to her child's education, uh, sued and harassed, and parents are, are being called domestic terrorists. How do we tell the difference? And, and if the FBI and other organizations are that corrupt, that they would call parents domestic terrorists, why are they calling finally calling out uh, SPLC? as a domestic terrorist organization. How do, we, how do we tell the difference? Okay, that's a great question. And let me clarify. So the attorney for the Southern Poverty Law Center was charged with domestic terrorism because they're involved in the riots, the anti-police riots in Atlanta. 
the FBI and DOD aren't designating them or putting that title of domestic terrorists on the Southern Poverty Law Center, but they've pushed them out because they've realized that their efforts, not just the corruption of the organization itself and the potential uh, criminal charges that could be brought later against them, but because of these things, that this stuff is so blatant, uh, they have had to, they've almost been forced to decouple themselves from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Now, the issue of the government, the FBI specifically, um, designating, meaning I should say calling, because you don't designate uh, a parent uh, a domestic terrorist, but they're treating them like domestic terrorists. They're using the, the phrase they've domestic They've labeled terrorists. them. They've labeled them in official policy documents, and this is the key. And I'll go back. If you listen to the speeches in uh, 2021 and 2022 by Mr. Biden, where he identifies, he says, you know, this MAGA movement is the most dangerous political movement in American history. And then he says uh, white supremacy, the greatest lethal threat, which is a legal term, the, the greatest lethal threat to the United States. And then he, they call, they, the Attorney General of the United States and the President of the United States, identify that the MAGA movement, the Patriot movement in the United States, the people calling for our officials to adhere to the Constitution, the rule of law, those people are the most dangerous movement in America. Now, when the president, the commander in chief says that, and the attorney general repeats it, we should not be shocked when the FBI director then, as we've seen on Capitol Hill, we find FBI training documents that identify indicators of violent militant extremism, and that's, of course, a made-up phrase by the FBI, are things like having the Gonzalez battle flag, having the Betsy Ross flag, Quoting Thomas Jefferson, quoting the Bill of Rights. So, God forbid. (laughs) That's right. Basically, Mm. adhering to the things and advocating for the things that is required by the very people coming against them in their oaths of office is now criminal. And so, this is much bigger than just parents at school board meetings. This is a full-on legal, using the legal system to target criminally and come after patriots. That's what this is at a much bigger level. And that's what I find. That's why I say it's such a great question you asked, because many citizens are just are acting like, well, this is crazy. This is dangerous. This is not just crazy. It's dangerous because they're doing it through real policy and real legal action. And they're doing it within the chain of command. And that's one of the reasons why. That's why a lot of people throw their hands up in the air and say, I'm going to just keep my head down and try to, you know, try never to talk or use my voice or even express an opinion because when parents are are conflated with uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, operates, as as this article says, as a terrorist support arm in the counter state, well, then uh, they don't know what to believe. And further, it makes us suspicious in a backhanded way. Well, how accurate is even that if the FBI, which you are a former member, is, is calling them a domestic terrorist uh, organization? Let's go back to SLPC and uh, what you believe is is actually a threat uh, to our country. It's 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 a there's a lot of intentional confusion going on by people who've lost credibility an awfully long time ago, right? That that's right. And I I agree with your assessment. You know, people are having a hard time discerning uh, fact from fiction. And one of the things we do at Understanding the Threat is lay that out for folks and show in in fairly simple terms. And, you know, I will tell you, in my, you know, every week I'm uh, speaking to large groups of 
citizens in local areas around the country, myself and my, uh, you know, my VP, John Bennett, we're speaking to groups and we are running our training, our into action training program, training communities, how to identify organizations like this hostile to liberty in your local community and how to flush them out. And you hear that music. That's the answer. You hear that music. It was preciously short talking to you. I wish I had more time. John Wandolo, tell everybody how they can find your book and find your organization online. Yeah, go to understandingthethreat.com, and we encourage you to bring our two-day into-action program to your town, understandingthethreat.com. Thank you. John Guandolo, uh, such a pleasure to have you. We'll wrap up the hour with our final guest this hour right after this. Don't go away. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show now. In December, LastPass, a popular app for managing passwords, suffered a security breach, potentially exposing millions of people's personal information. When a business created to protect passwords gets hacked, it's a reminder how vulnerable our sensitive information can be when stored in the cloud. And for businesses who need to protect data, security is a top concern. To help prevent security risks, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud recently introduced a password manager. Jump Clouds Antoine Jabara. Businesses cannot always rely on an offline solution as users need to share and access passwords across multiple devices, and cloud based options aren't ideal either. Jump Cloud Password Manager takes a hybrid approach, storing data on users' devices and seamlessly syncs user vaults to multiple devices in an end to end encrypted way. This addresses some of the limitations of cloud based systems and bridges the gap between convenience and security. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you want to support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. 
I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting paralyzed veterans of America. Our vets need you. I'm a quadriplegic. I'm definitely at risk with my diminished lung capacity. I have MS. I'm in a wheelchair, and I can't leave the house because I have a compromised immune system. I'm very concerned about would there be a bed for me? Would there be a ventilator for me? Would I be able to survive something? It's, it's just heavy. You know, it's, it's a heavy... It's a heavy moment. This is a war. This really is. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. I am so grateful for the PVA. They're making sure that we have all of the food and supplies that we need right now. We all gotta help each other right now. We can't get through this by ourselves. It's with profound gratitude that you're gonna be saving our lives. To find out how you can help, please go to helppva.org. That's H-E-L-P-P-V-A dot org. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm Karen Cataline. Uh, finishing up this hour with our final guest, we have one more hour to go uh, with senior counsel with the Lawfare Project right in line with what we've been talking about right now. His name is Gerard Felitti, and he joins us right now on the Alan Nathan Show. Gerard? Yes, hi. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you as well. Um, so we are switching gears here on our show to talk about Iran, Saudi Arabia, and them renewing, resuming ties with China. What do we need to know about that from your perspective? Well, what we need to know about that is that this does not bode well for America's continued role in diplomacy and ability to influence what goes on in that region. China is becoming more assertive as a global partner in democracy, if you will, or in maintaining diplomatic relations between countries. And the fact that Iran and Saudi Arabia were able to resume diplomatic relationships due to China uh, should send warning bells that America may not have the influence that we thought we did in the Middle East. Yeah. And a lot of us, boy, oh boy, there is so much going on on the uh, international chessboard um, with China and Russia. I mean, we can't tell if they are allies or uh, un, uh, uneasy partners. And now you've got Iran in the mix. Why don't you, if you can, simple it uh, simplify it for us so that we can understand, because uh, not only is it halfway around the world on the other side of the world, but we have so much propaganda in our own country, it's hard to know what's actually going on, isn't it? Well, sure. China is a growing and increasingly emerging global economy. Uh, it really needs a lot of oil to sustain its development. It is where the United States was 20 or 30 years ago in terms of consumption. So it needs stable supplies from OPEC countries, including Iran and Saudi Arabia. It's in China's best interest to have friendly relations there, because when there are diplomatic disagreements or wars breaking out, its supply of oil is threatened. So for China, it's important to have that oil supply, and it's also important to have a presence to develop the ports in those countries, to have infrastructure projects that it earns uh, and develops to expand its economy. So for China to be involved is a no-brainer. What's surprising here is that Iran, who has had diplomatic relations with China for longer than Saudi Arabia has, really turned to China for help. This was not a deal that was brokered by the UK or by European country. This shows that Iran, if it's being rebuffed by the West, and if it has sanctions continued to be imposed on it, will turn elsewhere for trade and for military assistance. And this is what's really concerning here. It's that two countries that are, well, one of them is not America's friend. Iran has not been America's friend since the 79 revolution. But Saudi Arabia, you know, we, we have had issues with them, whether it's assassinations or whether it's their funding of terrorist organizations. It's not exactly the closest ally to the U.S., the fact that these two countries are now increasing diplomatic cooperation should be concerning, especially when it's China or Russia that's involved. Yes. And then add to the mix that our own president, 
somebody that I call the presidential potted plant, uh, has evidence everywhere of ties to China that we have not been able to expose enough to get the honest story out. So are they just standing by, backing out, just uh, washing their hands of it? Or what? what's going on there, do you think? Well, I think in, in large part, Biden's administration has been caught in an uneasy position. They don't have a well-defined foreign policy, not when it comes to the Middle East. On the one hand, it's about Israel and maintaining our support for Israel. On the other hand, it's not losing any of the trade deals or economic relationships we have. But that's not a policy. That's reality of life. And by not having a policy, it's ignorant to the fact that China, Russia, other players want to be involved, want to have relations and can benefit at our expense. And you you raised an excellent point. Biden has undisclosed relationships. The Biden family has undisclosed relationships with Chinese government, with the, you know, with Ukrainian entities, with the Russian government. And we don't know what those are. We don't know, quite frankly, what impact they have on the decision making that's going on inside the White House. Right. So that's a concern upon a concern on a a concern. Um, You know, in just our last couple minutes, it's a very short segment. I'm fascinated by the lawfare project. The word lawfare has been uh, kind of made it into the lexicon now as a way of of, uh, changing or manipulating policy. Tell us what you do and what and what the lawfare project does on behalf of liberty yes (laughs) with the lawfare project we started as a response to lawfare fighting against lawfare using the legal system because we see this all too often the law being used as a weapon to silence voices that speak for truth democracy and freedom and someone needs to stand against that when people are being sued for speaking the truth when they are being attacked in the legal system and being silenced uh -hmm. you know that that is what we do is defend against that and we are particularly focused on civil and human rights, on counterterrorism, and on anti-Semitism. It's, we, we see these issues, quite frankly, occurring more and more in, in society today. And that's what we do. We, we fight this using the legal system. And this is particularly relevant to Iran, if you will, because we have many legal issues at play. We have sanctions against this country. We, have, you know, we, we see this as a global supporter and exporter of terrorism. Yet it is our own system. It's our own president. It's our own administration that wants to make a deal with them to let them have nuclear weapons effectively to develop the nuclear programs. That's a sort of lawfare where our own legal system is being used. Our diplomatic system is being used against us to no benefit. And this is something that we need to fight against. Yes. And it uh, it doesn't bode well, not only for the state of Israel, but for all uh, liberty loving countries when one of the greatest liberty-loving country is putting forth something called the Iran deal, which only seems to hasten Iran's uh, getting of nuclear weapons. Uh, in our last minute or two, do you have a case that is going on now that you can tell us about? And then please <laughs> tell us how they can find you and follow you uh, with the Lawfare Project. Well, cases that I'm involved in now are actually not so much international or foreign as as they are domestic. We're working with victims of of anti-Semitic hate crimes in New York City and other places where we've seen progressive prosecutors cut plea deals with attackers and not prosecute these cases. So we're working to bring justice to victims of hate crime, and we can be reached at thelawfareproject.org. That's thelawfareproject.org. Very good. Thank you so much, Gerard Felitti, for joining us here on The Alan Nathan Show. We're going to take a top-of-the-hour break. We'll be back with a whole other hour of The Alan Nathan Show on the Main Street Radio Network. Stay tuned. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.